Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on Cyberry.it using the discount code PODCAST. In this episode of the Cyberry Podcast, we sit down with Kyle Hansloven and Chris Bisnett, the CEO and Chief Architect, respectively, both co-founders of Huntress Labs. Speaking with Ryan Corey and Mike Gruen from Cyberry, Kyle and Chris explain the early issues they ran into when starting Huntress Labs and the Windows 95 problems they are still solving. Welcome, everybody, to uh, Cyberry's podcast. We are super pumped today to have good old friends of ours on the, on the uh, podcast here. Uh, Kyle Hanslovin, Chris Bisnett from Huntress. Welcome, boys. Hey, huge thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thank you. So um, my name is Ryan. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cyberry. I want to go around the horn and get some introductions from you guys. So Kyle, why don't we start with you? Kyle, CEO of Huntress, chief janitor and uh, great sounding voice, right? Uh, <laughs> I get it. Top yeah, that, Chris. Butter. Butter. <laughs> Chris, how about you? Yeah, so I'm uh, Chris Bisnett. I'm the uh, one of the co-founders, chief architect here at Huntress. Uh, my job is to build stuff and figure out how we take some of these business ideas and, and make them actually happen. That's fun. I'm sure we'll be talking about that today. Mike? Yep, and Mike Rowan, uh, VP of Engineering and uh, CISO, so head of security and head of technology. Um, basically, a lot of stuff just rolls up into me. Uh, at Cyberry. At Cyberry, yes. yes. You didn't like just leave and go to Huntress all of a sudden, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> we haven't told you yet, Ryan. Right, yeah. That's so, why we're doing this. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> right, right. So, um, uh, guys, I think we did our first content together when Cyberry, like you said, was probably eight people, um, if that. Uh, it was back at our old office in Greenbelt, which is right up the street from here. We're, we're in College Park now. Um, but why don't you give us a little bit of a background story on the company? It was called Huntress Labs at the time, right? Um, but give us a little bit of a background story on, on the company, how it came together, how it got started, that kind of thing. Chris, you want me to take that? Sure. So, uh, you know, all good stories, especially with technical founders, usually are a, uh, a solution in search of a problem instead of the other way around. Nobody ever likes to admit it, but... Uh, Chris and I's background was offensive cybersecurity. Our other co-founder, John, same type of background, worked at NSA with us. You know, we've kind of been married now 10 plus years. Uh, and the handle that we had at the time was, look, we knew anything and everything about breaking into systems. And it kind of started to wear on us that we weren't doing enough to give back. Uh, fast forward now to 2020, we've got 23,000 businesses using our software. So when they have an incident, we can quickly discover it, help them respond, remediate, and more importantly, recover just kind of commoditize what an incident happens. And it turns out that was just a huge gap that in 2015, we, we had an inkling it was a problem, had no clue that it was going to be such a uh, you know, wild roller coaster between success and then obviously pivoting as we went along the way to kind of really tailor our offering to what people really had for problems instead of what we thought was the problem. Got it. Got it. Like every company uh, that starts out or every startup out there, it's, it's never entirely up and to the right, right? But you guys have had a lot of success in recent, you know, in the, in the recent, what, year and a half, two years. Um, what was it like in those early days to, to kind of, you know, keep going and try to get over the hump that, that was the inflection point that you need? It was, uh, it was a slow burn for us. You know, some people are like, they, they get their idea, they make something they you know they post it to the internet and, and people just start showing up and it goes gangbusters right like that's like the 
typical startup dream. For us, it was a very slow burn. Um, initially, we decided we were going to go after the small and medium market because there was, when you go to the enterprise level, you got to really have all of these features already ironed out. You got to be fairly feature complete. Um, and when we looked at it, there were a lot of players there with tons of money, throwing around a lot of money doing marketing. And we said like, it's going to be really tough to compete with them without having a lot of money. So is there some other way we can do it? And, and we realized there were just tons of these small and medium businesses who were completely underserved. Like they just didn't have products um, that could either fit their budget, uh, fit their skill set, right? Like if they don't have a sock, if they don't have security experts, a lot of these tools were out of their you know range for them to be able to use, uh, and it didn't fit their workflow, right? They couldn't they couldn't just pick up the tool and use it and have it tell them what they needed to do. You had to put in all this effort and do all this analysis and stuff. So it just didn't really work for them. So. We started going after a small and medium business, but as as what was surprising to us is we went to a lot of these investors and said, hey, look, we're having this traction. We're getting these people. They're signing up. You know, we'd, we'd like some investment. And everybody was kind of like, I don't know about the small and medium businesses. We know a lot about enterprise. If you want to sell to enterprise, we can talk. Small and medium business, I don't really know. So for a long time, it was bootstrapped. We got a little bit of money from some angels early. Um but there was a lot of a lot of grinding. Would you say, Kyle, for like two years, three years? Yeah, yeah. We can uh, BS about that a little bit more later. But I mean, <laughs> Ryan, maybe maybe some of the, the the most impactful moments are even us hanging with you all, where you're talking about where cyber was figuring out where their fit was. Obviously, understanding there was some knowledge gaps. Hey, we need to help people train and learn better. Can we help provide content? Can we be that learning management system and continuing to pivot and grow? For us, was you know, cool, congrats, our technology worked, but how do you really wrap the messaging around it? How do you get better at marketing? Um, and so our success really didn't start till two and a half years into it where we saw any success, let alone this was truly going to be month over month solid growth. Got you, got you. For us, um, some of the, the, the key inflection points in our company came via um, product discovery. So a product person who's trained in product you know, they think about concepts like uh, jobs to be done, Clay Christensen thing. And um, <clears throat> some of our, our best inflection points or our greatest inflection points came on the heels of real value discovery, right? So we, we were kind of the opposite of you guys. We were, we were pretty good at marketing, not so great at product. And it took us to kind of get good product people in here before the inflection points hit. So it sounds like it's kind of a reverse thing. You, you guys are great product guys. You know the heck out of your craft. And then it took it took some of that messaging and everything to get to the right audience, right? Yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, you know, everybody talks about the successes. I think the failures are much more fun. I mean, I was literally calling the small businesses initially, and they were like, "Listen, we don't even have an IT department. You should call these people we outsource to." Like, there's nothing worse than when you think you're calling to a customer, and not only have you got the persona so wrong, there's nobody at the business that does what you do. Like, that's yeah. just about the biggest like swing and a miss you can get. You did a lot of it in the first couple of years, huh? Gosh. Yeah, I mean, but you become an expert, right? I mean, that's how you get good, right? Is yep. knowing the basics. So, yeah, yeah. That, that led us to a lot of discoveries, like you were talking about, that helped us get to product market fit. You know, where we were talking with these people, saying like, "Hey, you have this thing. Like, what are the problems that you have? What are you doing? What works? What doesn't work? You know, all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm more interested in what's not working for you." 
Um, and then, so we just kind of kept having those conversations and, and we would talk about it and say, hey, look, we got all these people here who are having the same problem. Can we help them solve that? And so we just kind of went that way. I think one of the challenges for uh, companies is also knowing when to say no, like things. Yeah, we can definitely help you with that problem. I I can't tell you how many companies I've worked at where we end up chasing the problem because we know we can solve it, but it's not that it's tangential. And um, I'm curious what your experiences were with that. So we, we got pretty good at saying no. Uh, I don't know if it's that we were all founders that had kids or (laughs) what, what it was, but, uh, we have, we have heard some horror stories, especially in the enterprise space, where people are like, "Look, I just lo- uh, you know landed one of the top three banks, but now I'm I'm more or less shackled to their needs and their requirements, and I'm gonna have to tailor my product to exactly what they need uh, to be able to survive this thing." And we got really good at saying, like, we we generally knew what we wanted to be, like a, like Ryan hit it, you know, the nail on the head was saying, "Hey, not not the best at marketing what we did want to be, even though we knew what we wanted to be." Makes sense. So <clears throat> who are those buyers? And, and, and if you want, maybe we can get a little more look deep into the technical side of the, of the product, which obviously I would, I would defer to Mike for the questions there. But um, yeah, why don't you yeah. tell us who, who the buyers are right now? Yeah. So uh, talking about getting nerdy, right? We obviously all think about uh, you know, when you're talking about securing Windows computers in the SMB market, like 95% of them are Windows. Albeit Chris is right now on this Zoom on a Linux machine. Uh, I've always got a virtual machine running something, right? Or most of our companies on Mac OS. Uh, we had to really first understand like, where is that center mass? All right, we've got to cover Windows at, at minimum. The next part of it was, all right, uh, where are hackers getting in that we can make the biggest difference and show quickest proof of value, right? That was one of those things of, so what if you're able to make the big difference? If you can't make anybody realize that in that typical elevator speech or quick moment, that was going to make or break us is what our belief was in 2015. And so we put all of our effort into this like self-service, super easy, click a button and kind of show yourself, hey, can we find a hacker on that Windows computer that's already has access despite you running like awesome preventive tools? And this was based on Chris's eyes background at NSA where our jobs weren't necessarily initial access, but we were there to be long-term persistent access, right? So if you think about that acronym, Advanced Persistent Threat or APT, we were kind of going after the P or the persistence part. And that was it. That was our whole bread and butter when we initially got started was how do we find somebody dwelling in your network that's already in there, not on like a test VM, not like, uh, you know, with a malware sample, but truly in your network. And then that was kind of the recipe. We, we, we put all our eggs in that basket that if we could show you something, it would make a difference. And Chris, well, we're still at like high, you know, high 70s, low 80s percent of our trials were able to show that. So mm-hmm. that was kind of key. Yeah, I think when we were having a lot of these early sales conversations where we were we were getting trials in and, and this was like, you know, back in the day before we really had like a whole sales team when it was like Kyle and myself and then we'd hired one sales guy. And you know, we we were trials were coming in and we'd have these like high touch, we'd call them, we'd have these long calls with them, try to figure out what was going on. And it wasn't long after that where we kind of realized like, hey, some of these trials they would go the full trial period. They'd go 21 days, they'd go 30 days. And at the end, there was still this, they weren't sure. We'd still have to have this conversation to convince them that was the thing they wanted. But then we also had these trials that would like come in, they would love it, and it was like slam dunk. And like they would sign up and, and they would buy. And so we really had to step back and say like, well, what's the difference between these two trials? And at the end of the day, like Kyle said, it was that proof of value. For those people who signed up, 
and actually went through the process of like using the product. They deployed it out. I think at one point we had some stat where it was like, if you sign up for Huntress and you deploy a hundred agents or more, the chance of us finding something was like 80, almost 90%. Um, and it made closing those deals real easy. So for us, that became, that, that was like the North Star. How do we get a trial in and how do we get them past that hundred endpoint mark? Because it just made the deal so much easier to convert. Like there was so much less effort that we had to put into convincing somebody that this was a thing they needed. We'd shown them, hey, this is what you need and here's why. Yeah, Ryan, I'd tell this story to my like punk teenage kids. And ironically, one of them told me, you know, they're like, oh yeah, dad, didn't you know seeing is believing? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I got that. It's a little bit harder in real life, but it is sometimes that simple. You just don't, I mean, you got all the technical chops. Uh, you know, Chris and I's probably coolest technical accolade is we once won DEF CON's Capture the Flag. And now that's like an old accolade for us because it's, you know, eight years ago we won the darn thing or something like that. Uh, so, you know, our skills are starting to atrophy a bit, um, but keeping up the technical excellence as you you bring on other people to do that for you has been something we were also big about. So um, not to reverse the question on, on you, Mike or, or Ryan, but you know, when you guys started out, obviously content was huge, but you've scaled big time too. How are you guys keeping up with uh, making sure the people you're bringing on board are technical? Um, you know, and handling that without your own skills atrophying. Yeah, sure. Well, for us, we did a, a really great job of, you know, building a community. So it kind of started with that. So in that community, you have, um, you have everything from CISOs, all, you know, all the way down the, the food chain in cybersecurity. So, the, um, so when we built that community, we, we now have a team called the content and community team. And so the content and community team, um, they bring in people into what we have a creator network. So these people are like intentionally there to create. And so they get highly vetted before they go in. Um, and then the content team also deploys rubrics of quality standards to these people. And we actually have an instructional coach that coaches subject matter experts on how to teach a great online course or how to create a great lab or how to create a CTF challenge or whatever, right? An, an assessment, that kind of thing. So it started with building a community and then you just put processes in place and, and, um, and coaching and that's that's where we are today. So that, that's kind of how we got there. But that didn't come about until, what, Mike, a year and a half ago? Yeah, something like that. And then also on the sales side, I think we do a great job. The content community team does a great job of um, talking to them, uh, talking to them about what the courses are, what the point is, and sort of working hand-in-hand -hand on these engagements. Um, there's even um, you know a resource or two that's dedicated to helping on board uh, customers and, and with regard to the content uh, and similarly product has those same conversations with that team. So um, we don't necessarily have to bring in the most technical sales teams. We just have to bring in people who are open-minded, capable of learning and um, can really sort of process it and then uh, talk to, talk to our customers about what, what we have to offer. Gosh, it's crazy what a little motivation, right? You, you bring on the right person that wants to learn, that wants to make a difference and, you know, sometimes yeah. make a, a much bigger difference than your, your rock stars that, you know, have the name recognition. So that's cool that you guys are figuring that out too. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So we're going to jump into the uh, technical side a little bit there. Yeah. yeah, Chris, I mean, you're chief architect. You want to want to explain uh, where we were and how we got to where we're at and what some of the shadiness under the hood was? Yeah, so uh, I guess to take it all the way back, so Kyle had been kicking around this idea for a while uh, of like finding attackers through persistence. Um, and, and so we we had all these conversations when we were working at NSA, like, hey, how come 
you know, how come we're able to get by? Like, how come AV is not catching us? Like, how come we're not getting caught more? Um, and when we really like looked at it, knowing and understanding the technical workings of like how AV works, they have a really hard job of like, how do they detect something they've never seen before, right? Um, and so for us, we said, okay, if you've never seen it, how can you tell if it's good or bad? Is there a way that you can look at this differently? Um, and then can we approach it from that standpoint and say, hey, we're going to look at it through a different lens, basically, or from a different perspective. Um, so whereas AV is looking at a file to say, like, do I know of this file? Is it a known good file or is it a known bad file? Um, is the behavior going to be something shady? Is it going to do something malicious, right? There, there's all, whether it's behavior heuristics. Right. I mean, we're kind, we're kind of at the point in the game where you're not trying to figure out the, you know, the 20 or 30 or 40% problem. You're at the point where you've got it 90, 95% solved. And now, you know, that's an 80, 20 rule, right? The right. last 20% takes 80% of your time. Yeah. That's where AV's at trying to solve these things. So that, uh, how do we do something different was super core. So, um, gosh, how, how did I convince you, Chris? It was Black Hat one year and I managed to get yeah. you on. What was it? Um, I don't know. I think it was FOMO to be, to be completely entirely <laughs> honest. Like it was FOMO, right? Like I, like Kyle had asked me this a couple of times. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like it seems obvious. Like now that I'm thinking about it, like why is not AV doing it? There's gotta be something we don't know. Like there's dragons lurking there that we don't know about. And that's, what's going to make it hard. And then, uh, you, you and, um, and John and, and Mark had, uh, submitted and were accepted to Mach 37 and you told me about that and you told me about all this stuff and I I just had this FOMO. I had to I had to be part of it. I think I I, I asked you guys if I could join and be a founder. So so my um, Mike are you early Windows guy by any chance? Ever play with like Windows 3.1 or you know Windows NT4? Yeah no uh yeah I'm that old. Uh yeah so definitely use those systems. Yeah, I looked at my last, uh, you know, video here with Cyberary and I had no gray and I looked young and there's no wrinkles and this is what five years will do to you. Um, but what was, you know, getting down to the, the real technical of what we're looking at, if you think about like, you know, let's take Windows 95. Well, I remember powering on Windows 95 and instead of Skype automatically launching, which Microsoft now owns, it was like MSN Messenger that would come right. up, right? Or AIM, uh, right? Automatically launch and come up. And so what was really bothersome is like back in those days, uh, those applications that automatically launch with an entry in your registry called a run key. Mm -hmm. And there's on Windows, right? There's like 200 different ways, services, drivers, scheduled tasks, uh, startup folder, you name it, all kinds of provider DLLs. There's just about a bajillion ways to launch things on Windows. And Microsoft is all about, let's have backwards compatibility forever. Right. So here we are in 2015, and I'm like, Chris, I'm seeing malware that's still using the persistence mechanisms from like Windows you know, 95 days. And we're like, gosh, this is like 20 years old. This couldn't possibly still be the thing, but that's what our data was showing. And so we did. We went out there and just started like, let's collect this in mass and let's see what we could find. And it turns out, you know, this morning, our team found, once again, run keys in mal malware still working here in 2020. So we're, we're talking 25 wow. years ago, but these same exact persistence mechanisms. And it turns out most of the community had rallied behind, let's find the advanced part, right? Advanced process injection techniques, advanced maybe exploits, right? Or how are they, you know, staging their command and control, doing crazy stuff with like DNS records to be able to maybe even exfiltrate DNS. And it turns out there was a gap that while everybody looked at the advanced side 
And then you had other vendors that looked at the threat actors, the T, right? Right. We skipped over that persistence piece there and nobody looked at it. So now, um, you know, five years into it, we kind of know this data set better than anybody. And it's a bit, I won't be as egotistical or to say it's like shooting fish in a barrel because <laughs> hackers don't work that way. They don't make it easy. There's humans on the other end of it. Um, but we've gotten so good now that we're actually expanding beyond just persistence, right? Expanding just beyond what we were doing and now opening up new cans of worms where we're finding hackers, you know, just like the P was unaddressed the first five years of our business. It turns out there's a whole lot of other acronyms that don't fit in APT where people aren't focusing on. Right. In terms of, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I definitely remember that stuff from Windows days. Um, it's just funny you bring it up because this weekend I was uh, doing something similar with my Mac. I feel like um, back in the day, one of the big pulls for me to switch from Windows uh, was I, I fell in love with Next Machines back in the 90s. And so OSX is just the Next Machine. Yeah. Um, and so, but this weekend there was something, one of my, so we have multiple accounts for our kids. Something was definitely slowing down his account and I could not figure out what was automatically starting up somewhere. And I feel like they've gone from this nice, like, hey, if you want to uninstall something, just delete it to, you know, like, just take it out of the applications, put it in the, in the trash. Now it's, it's almost exactly like Windows used to be where you have to like run Unix commands to find all the different places this thing may have inserted itself. Um, I guess it's just funny that it just doesn't seem to ever, it's never going to go away. Uh, I guess is where, yeah. When when I think about like the Cyberary's content creators, I've definitely seen some, whether it is in some of the older forums or even just some of the newer content talking about like, Windows has some tooling called the sysinternal suite. There are all kinds of ways to be able to do basic system administration, monitor processes, look at places in the registry, you name it. There's a feature for it. Right. Uh, turns out like those things don't even exist on Mac until recently. Ironically, a, a former coworker of ours at NSA named Patrick Wardle is uh, currently building these as part of their project. It's an open source project called Objective-C, which it's meant for providing all these like diagnostics, what's automatically starting, what is injecting into what, what's calling out to these websites. So while Windows right is still 25 years into it, still getting beat up or even longer, um, Mac obviously has a similar rich background, but we're just starting to get like the introspection tools. Right. And the reason for it is there's just starting to be a real need where we're clearly seeing, I mean, our team, Chris, do you recall of, of our team? Is it, is it 80, 90% of our teams using Mac? Yeah, a lot. All the marketing, all the sales. We, we tried to get them on Chromebooks because they were like, <laughs> du- Duo was using them and they were super secure. And we're like, we're going to get you guys Chromebooks. And they kind of rebelled a little bit. They uh, they pretty much said, "Like guys, this is not that was not a little bit." Yeah. They had pitchforks. Not a place I want to work. Yeah, we yeah. we briefly tried to do something similar with iPad Pros, and then we talked, and then we were like, maybe we should do something with Chromebooks, and then we decided, now we'll just let them all use MacBook Airs and, and be done with it. <laughs> but that's it, right? Like, look at between just our our two companies, how many folks actually in a situation where Mac is becoming the norm, and as a result, hackers are going to go where opportunity. It's that like. Or like corny 90s field of dreams reference. Like if you build it, they will come, <laughs> right? Right. They, they've built Macs and people are using them. And now that, that we're there, malware authors will come, right? And they'll come and come with malware, unfortunately. So um, we're even in that situation now where it was initially, let's get out, let's be, you know, get a platform in place, let's be viable. 
But one of the number one things that we're cranking away at right now is better support and expanding from a proof of concept to a full-on Mac agent, which is, uh, I mean, that, that's cool. It's cool yeah. that we're, you know, the hackers are pivoting too. And it's cool that all of us are playing with these new tools, but that also means the attack service is like yeah, much no, broader too. My last company, we were do, doing a... Uh, um, user entity behavioral analytics. And so we were also working on, you know, endpoints on laptops. And, um, you know, we had Windows was where we were focused and they, you know, we'd um, partnered with someone who, yeah, they had like an app, you know, a Mac OS endpoint, but I would say it wasn't, wasn't nearly as rich as the Windows one is because, you know, most enterprises still not using, weren't using Mac as much. Um, But yeah, as that continues to penetrate the market, obviously that's going to create more, um, more demand, you know, more, um, more people are going to have interest in, in, uh, attacking those, right. Yeah. Uh, Cause larger percentage, um, as a CISO, how do you deal with all of these different and unique like environments, right? Max windows. I'm, I'm sure some of your developers probably have like Linux machines. No. Like so I roll with an iron fist. Um, and so everybody's on a Mac. There's only a couple of windows machines. Um, I usually don't talk about it, but our finance team rebels. If I try and force them onto anything other than that, (laughs) same thing. It's because, so I actually had one, I said, show me like, what, what can you do in O three sixty five or, you know, office. And it turns out Excel is not as good outside of, uh, we hired a VP of finance. We were going to order him a Mac and he was like, no, no. Right. Right. You can put a virtual machine on there running windows for me. That right. Um, so, um, actually it's funny. I just got off a call with a different company and they were telling me that they got their finance guy, not just using a Mac, but using a G suite. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, uh, mind blowing for me because Excel, I get it because I'm jealous of that guy. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Excel is amazing. Um, but yeah, so we, um, so yeah, for the most part, everything's running on Windows. Um, and then we have, um, you know, we use MDM and other things to sort of manage them. Um, and then uh, everything we're doing is cloud-based. So there's very little, um, in fact, like one of our, uh, somebody was down today, um, got locked out of their laptop. I won't get into the bugs in Mac OS. Uh, but got locked out and um, so wiped her laptop and got her up and running very, very quickly because nothing's stored locally. So we can, there's a fair bit of, of um, security that comes from that as well. We just don't really have almost everything that needs to be protected is protected somewhere else uh, where it's easier to sort of manage and, and monitor. Nice. Now we get that. I mean, for, you know, I, I'm always thinking about the audience, right? We get a chance to do a lot of like podcasts, a lot of education and training. And I think about Cyberary's audience, right? Which is a lot of learners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for those folks that are upcoming in stuff like A plus or Security Plus or CCNA or any of those, you know, common foundations that we, we think of, um, I'm always, you know, reminiscent of like when I learned those and I got my certifications forever ago, the environment was completely different. So when I thought about like, how would I architect, you know, a network, for instance, proper segmentation and things back in the day, it looked nothing like this. Uh, for instance, we have some of the even startups in the, that are, uh, you know, in the market where we're at that use appliances. And that's the only way they can provide security. And the day that work from home happened with COVID-19, 
those appliances protected nobody, right. everybody. There weren't VPNing back into the network to get it. And so it's cool about learning some of these foundational skills nowadays. That we, I'd argue you have a huge leg up on a lot of the people that came from the old world where everything was, you know, I had a, a firewall and it was protected just like a castle, right? It's got right. a moat and high walls and archers and, you know, but nowadays everybody's everywhere, you know, look, we're, we're working from four different locations right now for this podcast. Right. Um, the other thing is like, as things move towards serverless, like what is, what does security look when there is no server, right? And, yep. and how do you secure that? And how do you monitor that? Um, intrusion detection, what does that look like? Um, if the machine's only up for, you know, for a few minutes to, uh, or the, you know, the instance is running for a few minutes to run a function and then shuts down again. Yeah, um, Chris, Chris uses yeah. Lambda, right? For milliseconds, it builds right. hundreds, uh, the hundred millisecond level, you know, right. What are you going to find when it's up that quick? And if there is something going on, do you have introspection into that? Probably not. Right. Um, and yeah, so I think, I think it's, it's interesting that we at Cyberary, uh, very lucky in that, you know, um, early on, we were able to sort of go that whole DevSecOps infrastructure as code, really adopt the cloud um, way of doing things. So it makes all of that a lot easier. Um, other places, you know, they just, especially the larger organizations or even small ones that don't have the team, don't have the ability to hire those, those people. I think it's, getting to that level um, is very difficult. I think there's so much that's still old world and I forget about that. I get spoiled sometimes when I talk to my team and then, you know, I go and talk to someone else. I was like, Oh, you're, yeah, I forgot about that. That's a, that's a real thing. Isn't it? <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Um, yep. So, so Ryan, you get huge kudos for doing a good job at hiring Mike here because uh, the people who aren't adopting this type of like infrastructure as service or the idea of infrastructure as code, are uh, in for a rude awakening. I mean, we're talking about it's becoming so mainstream for us. Is so uh, for our CRM, right? Where we store obviously all our applicants and things. Um, you could go through the UI and point and click and create a whole bunch of these objects. But we're talking about Chris's engineering team the other day actually provisions how the the CRM works through code now. It's a hundred percent. So it's repeatable. It's done in a standard and it. You know, even if it goes down or somebody blows it away by accident, they can reprovision not only from backups, but the actual objects now. And you, you would, when you think of infrastructure as code, you think of like maybe I provisioned a server or a firewall or something along those lines. You don't think about tables in your CRM, but that's where it's going. So hats off to you, Mike, for uh, embracing that stuff early on. Oh, thanks. Yeah. No, we, um, yeah, we, same thing, anything, uh, whenever somebody requests access to anything, it's all pull requests, it gets reviewed. Um, which gives you that also not just the the infrastructure's code from the perspective of oh if everything were to shut down can we just stand it back up but the audit trails that come along with that by following good software engineering practices of like hey we need two approvers to to approve a pull request means that there's nobody getting access without someone say you know without someone else's eyes on it um, so there's always that audit trail there's always you know there's a lot of controls in place and it's just a natural the the I think the key to making it work is that um, it's just a natural flow. It's just a part of the workflow, um, especially for the software developers as you start getting into their workflows and inserting security into that. I think it's important to, to recognize how they work and make sure that what you're doing just sort of aligns with that fairly well. Um, so it just looks like another unit test if it's the case of like, hey, there's this dependency check that just failed. Um, the library you're using is out of date or has a CVE. Like, how do I remediate that? But as a software developer, without having to know really all of the minutia that goes with that. It's like, oh, just update the library, test this branch, and, uh, and you know, issue a pull request, done. 
Yeah, I got you. And, uh, you know, definitely not getting political at all, but in the woke <laughs> atmosphere that we're at, right, it's sometimes it's hard to get rid of, you know, old legacy things, old legacy habits. And I can't but help think about some of our partners that, you know, um, they've been doing it this way for 20 some years and it's worked and the IT person has been around, whether guy or gal, uh, right, has been doing it this way. And breaking those habits is hard. Uh, yeah. And so like the idea of people investing in this constant, like, you know, whether education and training, um, I think we're, we're all kind of lucky that our companies are only a couple years old, right? Five, six years old. That we, we get to build on all this like rock star uh, right. development where we look and we're purely in the cloud and we have all this functionality. Meanwhile, you know, guaranteed, go knock on the accountant or law firm's door, you know, closest to you and you'll see like the most, you know, ratchet beat up network you've ever seen because they've never iterated. Maybe they've got better at like their their law firm or how they're keeping up with the most modern laws, but it's definitely not that way in IT. Yeah. Um, the other thing... What did you walk into at Cyberry? <laughs> so, uh, so when I first got here, everything was running on WordPress, which not exactly a scalable, extensible solution. Um, and uh, we were, uh, again, on the last uh, conversation I was having, we were joking that like our monitoring solution was Twitter. Uh, so that's uh, frequently how we found out the site was down was because users were like, I can't log in. Um, my first week, I think we... Um, I think in my first week or two weeks, I think the site went down four times. Um, so I knew like this needs to be addressed. So one of the first people I hired, I stole from my last organization, um, brought him in as a contractor to do infrastructure. And originally the intent was like, hey, let's re-architect. And then it was like, hey, let's just stabilize so that we can work on these other things. So stabilize and scale. Um, and we, we moved pretty quickly through that. Um, quickly, you know, nine months uh, worth of work to get to the point where we were finally launching our new architecture. Um, yeah. It was a lot of work to sort of just stabilize WordPress. Um, and securing it is a whole nother... Go ahead, Chris. I'll just say kudos to you for, for uh, you know, making that decision and, and kind of not just saying like, okay, we have this thing, let's just keep going with it. Because that's like, that's the easy thing, right? It's like, well, I was hired specifically, kudos to Ryan and Trevor and the, and the founders, because that's what I was hired for, oh, okay, right? Yeah. There was this recognition of this thing isn't going to scale. We need, we need a better solution here and let's find someone to help us do that. And right. so um, I, was, um, I was very excited. It was one of the few times um, where I was coming in and it was sort of this like, weird place of like certain amount of brownfield, but also a ton of greenfield uh, because I knew we were going to be able to do all this new infrastructure stuff. So yeah. Um, I, I think yeah. that's super hard though. I mean, if you look at like Netflix, right? Netflix was shipping DVDs. <laughs> they were making money. They were making right. a bunch of money. And they said, you know what? This DVD thing is cool, but this is not the future. Like we're going to shed this whole like shipping DVD business and we're going to streaming. And a lot of people were like, you're crazy. Like you're taking this business that is making money, that is growing and you're going to throw it away for this unknown thing. Like you're crazy. Look where they are now. If they, right. Imagine if they were still shipping DVDs, they'd be done. Hulu and Amazon streaming and all those other, they'd have killed them a long time ago. Yep. Mike, you walked into more of a firestorm also from how we were running our own internal network, right? Windows server box. Yeah, I mean everything was. Uh, yeah, I mean there was there was a lot going on. Um, uh, there was right. We were using Office three sixty five. We were on. Uh, we had a contractor who she also contracted with other 
uh, sister companies. And so um, there were some shared resources, Data uh, things like that. Type. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, there was a firewall, but I didn't have control over it. Uh, this other company did, stuff like that. So um, again, the same, that's uh, why I hired uh, Jonathan, the first person I you know, brought in as a contractor was originally to uh, help me solve all of those things because he'd helped me in the past with, with uh, solving them. But yeah, um, yeah, there was a number of those, um, you know, fun times. You know, you look at, you know, it's, um, you know, getting everybody to, um, you know, putting in, more processes right now. Uh, like I remember everybody had admin access to everything. The notion of least privilege was like, what, why would I, why would we not have admin access? And, you know, there's still, you know, my job is to say, yes, my job is to figure out a way to get someone what they need. It's not to block them, but at the same time, you know, making sure that we're not just saying yes to everything and that you don't overprivilege. Yeah. Um, On a you, daily basis, we look at over a half million computers. We can generally tell within the first handful of minutes based on like the sanity, uh, I want to say sanity or network, we'll say hygiene, right? Of <laughs> your network, whether or not you're implementing least privilege. It's that crystal clear to us. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know it's one thing to read about it in the books. It's a whole other <laughs> thing to actually do it. Uh, maybe that's the biggest takeaway on some of this stuff is like, look, we're talking about it. It's been around for 20 years that we should do this. Do right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, just getting multi-factor authentication or any of those types of things, right? We all know it's good things to do, uh, trying to roll that stuff out or um, on the IT front, right? Um, there was no MDM, there was no DEP. We, like, uh, our COO would just go to the Apple store and buy a Mac, um, whatever, you know, for whatever new employee. There was no standardization, uh, of what those things even looked like. Um, so getting a lot of that under control. Um, and now, you know, despite not really having an IT team, you know, moving more and more towards, um, you know, what are we going to do from an MPM to make sure that, you know, people don't, who don't need admin access on their laptop, don't have admin access on their laptop. Um, which when you only have, you know, one and a half people, um, and one of those people's may doing IT, um, it's, it's, it's pretty tough to, to, you know, to figure out how to make that work. Um, but yeah, it's, and again, it was, it's easier when you started a company when there's 19 people and you can sort of, um, you know, there's a lot of buy-in from people that everybody understood the importance. It's a cybersecurity or, you know, cybersecurity space. People understand it. There was, there was, um, I never got a lot of resistance, which was great. And I can't imagine what's like at other organizations um, where there, where that isn't the case. I remember um, one of the companies I worked at where um, was actually the company that really sort of started shifting me from software development into security. And I remember talking to the CISO and just, I didn't envy the guy. Like he was just like at every turn, everybody was broken like, soul. Yeah. I mean, uh, everybody I was just trying to figure it. out how to work around his policies right. and all his policies were like completely reasonable. Like, yeah, you know what? That's a segregated network. Don't plug in your, like, don't just change the ethernet cable. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, it, that's a tough job and um, I'm sort of blessed that, you know, where I work and, and the people that, again, it's, it's fairly straightforward. Yeah, it's interesting how how similar we are. I mean, from the from the same standpoint of like hire somebody, go order a Mac, go to you know the Apple Store, just order a Mac, ship it to their house. We don't have an IT team either. It's like me and like you know we got kind of like an ad hoc volunteer based IT team, right? You know? And so it's like we're we're in the same. Like 
MDM trying to lock stuff down. But like, to your point, I want to say yes. I don't want to be the no guy. I don't want to be that CISO or the person who's making the policies that everybody hates and everybody's trying to go around. Right. But I got to balance that with like security. Yeah, I need to enable productivity. Well, the thing, one of the things I learned at my last job, which was great, I was also uh, for a little while um, on uh, product, um, VP of product and platform. So, what I, one of the things that was driving me nuts was there was um, some people uh, on the, what we'd say is on the other side. So, on the professional services side, our our sort of uh, customer success side, who were constantly going around me to get information from the engineers. And one of the first lessons I learned was, um, well, if I have an 8.30 meeting with this guy every day uh, to talk about, to go through all of the priorities, um, he's not going to do that. And what I learned was if you can, the reason why people work around you is because what you're trying to do makes their life harder. If you can, if you can figure out how to make it so that it's just natural and fits into what they want to do, nobody wants to work around you. Everybody wants to follow the rules. It's just when those rules are, are, preventing them from being productive. Um, and so just sort of recognizing that and just figuring out a way and saying like, okay, cool, let's, let's, you know, maybe I have to make a change. Maybe I have to get up early every morning to talk to you, or maybe we have to set up some new um, administrative like privilege that doesn't, you know, some role that doesn't exist just so that we can make sure that we're satisfying what you need. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a, a lesson. So Ryan, we've geeked out hardcore over here, <laughs> on your man, getting all kinds of nerdy. Oh, we Ryan's miss- still here. <laughs> we we miss anything here, though. Mike, what do you think? Did you have a good discussion there? I think we had a good discussion. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Good. good. Why don't we? Um, why don't we pivot then? Let's hear what is the uh, what's the future holding for 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 Huntress? What's uh, what do the next kind of twelve months look like? And then where do you think this thing is going? Yeah, I'll g- I'll give away some cool secrets here. So. Um, one of the things that we always imagined uh, was our product was probably a platform from the early get-go, but didn't know what that meant, right? It just meant we had a bigger vision for what we wanted to do, and there was a lot of things we wanted to do. Um, but you got to start somewhere. That's, that's always the problem. Like Even these security inc- incidents we talked about or taking away admin privileges, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And so we did. We started with persistence. Um, but during our raise, when we started talking with investors, investors were like, this is going to be huge, especially when you're going after, you know, most recent census shows over 30 million small businesses and medium businesses in just the US. So they're like, look, you're going after a, a market that's just huge. Why stop at just persistence? And we're like, oh, we got some real tricks up our sleeves. So the next 12 months, actually the next 12 days, um, we're, uh, we're going to take this vision that we've had for the last four and a half years and we're going to more or less not tell our customers they're going to come in and they're going to have a platform instead of a product, which has multiple products within this platform at no cost. It's one of the benefits for us that when we looked at like what the economy needs right now, what we needed to be able to show and give back, um, that's huge. So literally, they don't know. We're not planning to make an announcement till it's time. And we're going to spring this on them as a just huge thanks for being with us um, with the no adjustments to the finance side. But what that actually is doing is it's it's self-serving. For us, we've always had more than just like hacker persistence. We're like, look, people have a hard time tweaking those group policies to be able to set least privilege on admin or set these really sharp ideas like let's not allow multiple failed password attempts within a certain amount of time. Let's lock it out. Like we know these basics. So we're going to start adding many more 
whether we call them products or services, that's kind of still up in the air, but many more services. And it's just part of the Huntress platform, once again, faux free. So we're feeling pretty good about that. Um, the big problems that we're looking to slay right away is ransomware. So if you're thinking about the canary in the coal mine conversation, this is going to be like our own canary that as soon as, you know, the canary dies, you know, you got to get out of that coal mine. This is going to be, you know, oh crap, we have ransomware at Sunday night. Let's start restoring from backups now instead of seven o'clock in the morning when that customer's PO'd that they're down, right? Because productivity's out. Kind of giving the IT team uh, you know, a leg up on hackers in this cat and mouse game. But uh, I would say the next 12 months are heavily involved around expanding that platform and the products offered on it. Chris, is, you'd say that's accurate? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the only thing I would add to that is for, I know the, the cyber audience is a lot of people, you know, trying to get into security learning and stuff. From a founder perspective, um, it's real easy to think big in the very beginning and say like, we're going to make this huge platform. Uh, but you, you can't be sort of kind of okay at a bunch of things. You're not going to really do well you got to be focused. And so for us, we were super focused on persistence, like laser focused. That was all we did. Um, and, and to some of the points that were made earlier, we had to say no to a lot of things. There were a lot of ideas that we had that we toyed around with. We were like, oh, we could do this cool thing. Like, no, we need a persistence. We need to get this. We need to show people value. Let's not try to go too broad too early. Um, and so, you know, we did that. We went for a while and we said, okay, with this raise, we're going to bring in money. We're going to expand the team. And at that same time, we're going to go big on this whole platform thing and, and show that it's like MDR was cool. That was how we got here. Um, but there's so many other problems that small and medium businesses face with their security and implementing it and monitoring it. How do we help them with that? Yep. The next one, right, is the the bigger vision. More than 12 months, right? But the, the, the visions that you can dream of... Um, What's funny is, once again, as a, as a founder, everybody asks you, especially investors, the same couple questions that sometimes you want to you know, roll your eyes at. What are you going to do in the future? And the answer, there's only three answers, right? I'm going to IPO the sucker and go public. I am going to get bought or I'm going to die trying. That's your only three outcomes in startup life, period. Um, and after you answer that a thousand times, you, you kind of want to yell that. But what's funny is, even for us as founders, we... Um, we knew we were making differences. We knew we were growing very quick. I mean, we're talking about 24 months of 10% uh, month over month growth, you know, that we had in a row um, and still growing on this trend. Um, even during the COVID-19, seeing a little bit less of the growth, but we're talking about solid growth, never a low month. Um, but I would say it's only been in the last probably 12 months for sure that we went from, I think we're going to be able to do something big to... I know we're going to be able to make something huge. And so I would say, you know, taking a vulnerable moment, you know, IPO is now something where when we say we're going to do it, it's not just a pitch to investors, but investors are not, we know how we're going to get there. We know what we're going to do. We know we're going to have to adapt and release products sooner or later. Like we, <laughs> we didn't see COVID-19 coming, right? We didn't see the economy going to trash, but we did see, you know, the ability to make a bigger difference. And so I would say for the first time in five years, it's no longer a question of like, you know, some people ask like, how do you become a unicorn? Or how do you, be, you know, that effectively means how do you become worth a billion dollars, right? The three comma club or trace commas club for anybody that watches uh, Silicon Valley, right? Um, yeah, um, but the long story short is it's now pretty, uh, pretty evident we're going to be able to get there. It's just going to be a lot of time, a lot of effort, 
um, a lot of what Chris mentioned, which is not being the master at everything, but getting really good at some very specific basics. And then hopefully be where Chris and I are not, uh, are now at in our security career, where you could throw any security problem at us, we can now solve it. It's just taken us 20 years to get there, right? 20 years of being terrible at a lot of things, but being good at one or two to come full uh, circle. So I would say that was that would be my five year of, you know, we're going to continue doubling revenue every year. We're going to continue doubling or tripling what our products can do for our partners, showing more value. Um, and I would encourage maybe anybody else listening to this thing as you're kind of soul searching, um, you know, that's the uh, small investments you make in your technical acumen now are pay the dividends that where you can go. And, you know, if you would ask 2000, Kyle, right, when I was on, on Windows uh, 98 or ME, uh, right, that nobody talks about, I would have never guessed I could have been at this level, but it was a whole bunch of those small investments that have paid off. Chris, uh, Am I am I smoking something? Am I out of it? No, I mean I think like you said, like it, it's the thing you had to say for a long time. For us, it was the thing that we had to say, and it took a while for us to really believe in that bigger vision. I, I remember. I'm going to be. I don't. Know, I don't know if this is the greatest thing to say, but I'm going to be completely honest and say, like in the beginning, there were a lot of times where I was like, man, I don't want an IPO. Like, that just seems like too much work. It seems terrible. Like, let's just grow the company and sell it and, like, move on to the next thing. Um, and so there was a lot of time for, like, founders where we were saying these things, telling people. I don't know that, at least for my myself, I didn't fully believe it for a long time. But, um, you know, I do now. Like, there's a lot of stuff now that, like, once we kind of hit that inflection point and we went from, like, just MDR to, like, Here's all of the things that we can do in security. Here's all the things that we can make better for people. It was like, oh, okay, well, like, I'm not locked into this one thing forever. Like, I have this massive playground now where I can go and play and make products and, and generate solutions for all these problems. And it just really, like, made it much more amenable to me to say, like, oh, I can work on this thing for 10 more years. Okay. Cool. It's good to hear. So, um, guys, where can people find you? Where can they so get more information? You kind of mentioned it in the very first intro, right? We used to be called HuntressLabs.com. We still own HuntressLabs.com. But uh, now that we've updated and graduated, good old-fashioned Huntress.com you can find us at, right? Chris and I are both super active on you know, social media. You can find me at Kyle Hanslove, and I think you're at, at C Business. At Chris Business. Ooh, you look at you upgraded too. So, um hey. You know, so we're, we're active there. Um, you know, obviously find us there. Um, once a month, we do a thing called Tradecraft Tuesday, which is where we talk about hacker tradecraft. It's non-pitch related. It's just 100%. What are the latest, you know, sh- uh, shady hacker things that's going on? And how are they getting by the preventive products? Um, that's our, our one chance a month to still be hardcore geeks and dive into the nitty gritty. So if you love those intricate details, I think it's tradecrafttuesday.com. You can find a link to yep. the, the webinar. Yep, I definitely highly recommend people check that out. I remember doing that with you guys a few times back in the day. So uh, great. This was really awesome, guys. I appreciate the time. Is there uh, anything else that we need to get out on the table? Are we good to go? No, I think this should yeah. probably be, uh, you know, this shouldn't be the last, right? We shouldn't have every five years catching up with the cyber team. So uh, we'll have to find a follow-on for sure. Maybe we'll do a Tradecraft Tuesday or something together. Fair That's enough. great. Thanks, guys. This was awesome. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.